And guys, good morning or good afternoon whenever you're listening to this episode. This is None of Your Business Podcast with Robert DeLude. I'm not going to do my normal intro that I do, so you're just not going to get that today. You know, it's Wednesday morning, and I promised you guys that I would get more episodes out, so this is what I'm doing. Jen, today, she needs no intro. The She is so amazing. I love her content and the message that she brings, and I thought that she would be a amazing guest and I was absolutely correct on that so if you know someone who's dealing with trauma or you're dealing with trauma yourself then this episode is going to help you so if you can just share this with a friend that you know that's going through a hard time maybe they are not really sure if the path they're going on for their trauma recovery is right for them. And maybe Jen can help them. So, guys, go check out Jen's Instagram. The tags will be at the end of the episode, like always. And, guys, I just launched a new coaching business. So, for right now, with all my listeners... I'm giving them a free strategy call. So DM me at Robert Delude on Instagram or at none of your business podcast to schedule that free call. Because if you want to dive deeper into what I've learned through my podcast experience, learning from some of the best in the world, and then I can teach you and we can dive deeper. So, I can't wait to hear from you guys. That offer is ending soon. So, please go rate and review on iTunes, guys. I would very much appreciate it. Much love. Happy hump day. And enjoy the episode. All right. So, we are on. I got Jen Elizabeth on the screen from me. (laughs) Uh, across the screen for me and not on the screen whatever same thing it's 2020 so jen welcome to the none of your business podcast thank you for uh, having me you want to tell us a little bit about yourself (laughs) sure um oh my gosh do you want me to start from the beginning (laughs) you know how uh it's like a really long story (laughs) yeah you know how um what are you doing now like you're a sober coach you got a lot of sobriety stuff going on so yeah, so I am, I've been in recovery for nine and a half years and, um, you know, my recovery started as just focusing on the addiction aspect of my experience through life. And I realized that that was really not getting me, um, as far as I would like to be in this world. It yeah. was, Um, a very tiny box that, um, I was starting to feel really suffocated in and I was having a lot of pain in, a lot of trauma, a lot of, um, other things happening within me, even though I was sober. And so about two years into my recovery, I decided to advocate for myself and the quality of my recovery, um, and ignore all the 
voices and the name, you know, the names and the judgment and the stigma that we have inside the recovery community. And I branched out and started doing trauma work and realizing that traditional addiction recovery paths are not trauma informed and that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. They're great for what they're designed for. However, they are not, they do not serve a purpose for what they're not designed for. Makes total sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's to help you recover from alcoholism or whatever you right. suffer from, not the PTSD from whatever right. happened in your alcoholism. Exactly. What's the reason why are you in that addiction? Right. I mean, that's really the route that I needed to get to because just removing the drugs and alcohol, um, which were the really best coping mechanisms I had ever found to survive all the trauma that I had, um, left me extremely fragile. And um, I believe I was very close to possibly going back out there, possibly ending my life. I mean, there was a lot of things happening. And I was told, you know, it works if you work it. So you must not be working it hard enough, you know, or, right. <laughs> uh, and I yeah. was like, you know, and I'm like, or maybe I'm bad at recovery or maybe recovery is not meant for someone like me, someone like me. And I have my hands in quotations because I hate that, that I do not, you know, I don't buy into that anymore. There is no such thing as someone like you. We are all perfect and worthy and whole and capable of everything. So I, you know, I decided these people don't live in my body. These people do not live in my life. Um, If I don't do something, I'm going to end up back on the streets. So I started doing trauma work and inner child healing and inner child work and trauma-informed meditation and all all these avenues, which is what really my recovery is based on today. So today, I don't, I'm not like a sober, I hate when people call me like a sober account or a sober influence. I mean, I don't really talk a whole lot about drugs and alcohol because really that was not my problem. I what I've come to understand in all these years is that really drugs and alcohol weren't what destroyed my life. Although they had a lot of negative aspects to it, my insides were distra- destroyed way before I ever found drugs and alcohol. Okay, you want like what do you mean by that? What I mean is that I from the age of probably three years old, um, you know, I, I say this a lot when I speak is that I was ashamed of who I was before I could even spell my own name. Mm. So my insides were already empty from my very first memories, really. Absolutely. So drugs and alcohol Yes, there were a lot of things that come along with that that are very dangerous and and do add on layers and layers of trauma. However, that was really not where my pain came from. My pain was way before that. And so if I just focus on the drugs and alcohol, then it's like cutting off a weed at the top of the the ground. The thing is going to keep growing and keep growing. And maybe, maybe you won't go back out to addiction, addiction, but maybe, and most likely your life is not going to be as full as it has potential of being like, there's no such thing as as good as it gets in recovery. There's no top off. 
It's like, it can always get better. We can always get more free. We always get more and more healing as we keep going. If we allow ourselves to grab onto everything that is accessible to us without listening to the voices of people who want to keep you boxed in. Mm. So I really advocate for that. I really advocate for people to step up for their own recovery, whatever that looks like. Everybody's recovery is different. There's no such thing as a universal truth. As far as recovery goes, everybody's truth is different. What works for you may not work for me. That's totally fine. We need to remove the ego out of it. There's no like winner, winner, chicken dinner. My path is the winner of all paths. (laughs) This is like a very common thing amongst treatment professionals, amongst, you know, uh, traditional recovery paths is that this is the way because it works for me. So this is the way well work for you for number one is highly subjective. What does work for you mean? Maybe what's working for you is not really what my goal is. Right. And number two, even if it work quote unquote works for you, doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And so we tend to push people away by this you know, we want to be the winners and don't go that way or you're going to be a dry drunk or you're going to, you know, you're this or that. And I just want to see people take better care of themselves than they did before. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I, I love that. Um, I've been in recovery for seven, eight years. I wish I could say that, you know, I was sober that long. But uh, when I think I got it, I give, uh, you know, the 12 step programs, my middle finger and say, fuck you guys. I don't need you anymore. And then I go back out and you know, it, that's just the way it is. Um, but I do agree with you. You can always keep growing and healing. Like I, I knew that I needed to work on my codependency issue like eight years before I even stepped into the, you know, some, a room for my drug and alcohol problem. You know, I, and like, I always put like this mask, like, Oh no, like I'm not, I'm not like those people. I don't need that. But it was like the missing puzzle to my life. Like, that's what I needed to f- go on. And, you know, I, I like I recently moved. Um, I live in Montana. Uh, I moved two hours west uh, to Missoula, like right before the shutdown. And like, I was like more, you know, going like trying to do like a, more like a, a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And when I came over here, everyone looked at me like I was fucking crazy and telling me that I'm doing it wrong. And then I'm like, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, you know, I get that. Um, so when you were like grown up as a, you know, a young girl and you wanted to tell the younger version of yourself, like three things, give them, give her some inspiration, maybe some hope. Like, what would those three things be if you could do that? I do do that, actually. Mm. So that's part of my inner child meditation. And part of my inner child work is to really stay connected to the different phases of myself that have brought me to here. Okay. All all phases. And of course, you know, really important part and phase of my life is that little girl, because that's really where it all started from. 
So in my inner child meditation, um, and I do this every day. And like I said, it, it varies from phase to phase. Sometimes it's the me that was like living under a bridge. Sometimes it's me, the me that was in prison. Sometimes it's the teenage me. Um, but oftentimes it's like the five-year-old me. That's where my sexual abuse became very, you know, uncomfortable and, and things became very confusing to me. So I take a picture of myself at whatever phase it is, but my five-year-old self, let's just say, and I close my eyes and I, and it, it takes some practice, <laughs> but I actually really try to visualize. Um, I walk over to her and I pick her up off the floor and I twirl her in the sunshine. I tell her she is love and light and none of that was her fault or her burden to carry anymore. And together we are safe now. And I do this in different variations every morning. And so what's happening, it's very interesting. And there is a lot of science behind this and studies behind this. It's not just hooey hooey stuff, but is that as I am loving her from the heart of the mother that I have today, it's as if I am being re-raised by a present mother, if that makes sense. The woman I, I okay. The woman I show up as today is, is being more and more healed by me loving that little girl, Mm. even though that time is gone, she is still and her wounds and her ways of protecting me are still here. Mm. And so I believe this is important for a lot of people, especially people in recovery, because Trauma and addiction are so intertwined that we, like I said in the beginning, we focus on, on the, you know, the quote unquote wreckage of our past, but we consider that wreckage to be just what happened in our addiction. Right. And we're missing out on what happened before that, that brought us, what did we need that addiction for? There's reasons Although, yes, there is biological and chemical factors of taking any kind of chemical for a length mm-hmm. of time, you become dependent. Yeah. But for most of us, it was less about the de- physical dependence and more about what was it doing for you spiritually, emotionally, psychologically? Um, what were you running from? What pain were you numbing? Who was it? You know, was it trying, was it making you somebody else because you didn't want to be who you were? Where does that come from? If we don't go back to those children, they are still here. And so they will still try to protect us in ways from pain and being protected from pain actually is not a good thing. <laughs> it feels like a good thing. We assume if we avoid pain, that life would be better, but actually avoiding pain causes us more turmoil Mm -hmm. and in the pain is where the power to change our lives is. Mm. So I would pain as a purpose pain is like where sure. Well, pain and the purpose is definitely something that's important. I think also, but the pain is where the, it's where the gold is. It's where the answers are. Mm. We spend a lot of time running from that in, in all kinds of ways. And, and I really think that it's important that we take this big, yucky umbrella, umbrella off the A word, the addiction word. Like mm-hmm. we, we've made it this big, scary word. So, yeah, I think that it's important that I would like, you know, us to take the big, you know, umbrella of scariness and 
and badness and, um, you know, dysfunction and all this stuff that we, we hang over the big A of addiction, you know, it's like, oh, this big, scary term. And those are bad people. And those are, you know, that's just a really scary thing to admit and all this stuff. Like it's the same as, you know, really ultimately it's the same as, you know, zoning out on social media to avoid your family. It's the same as, you know, overeating or, or other disorder habits or shopping, you know, spending more money than you actually have, you know, they're just coping skills. And so I'd like to just take this whole big scary thing away and just add it to the list of ways that we cope with the pain that we're in. And that's it. Very light. Because if we don't, then we have the continued um, judgment and stigma from the outside, which prevents people from seeking help, seeking help or speaking out or saying when they're in pain. Um, and I don't believe that people are, I don't like the word dysfunctional or, I mean, dysfunctional is, I guess, you know, not so bad, but I don't like the term broken or bad or, you know, wrong. I believe people are in pain. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that we get confused and people like to jump in and say, well, pain's not an excuse to do this or that or that. Well, we already fucking know that. I don't think anybody, even when they're in pain, feels a hundred percent justified to just behave however we want. Mm -hmm. The thing is that pain doesn't excuse anything, but it explains everything. Right. Everything, 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 everything. And so, you know, I used to use the term broken. I used it for, <laughs> I called myself broken for many, many years. Um, even in the book that I wrote, which was only like a little over a year ago, I used the term broken a few times. And I really do not, I do not use that word at all anymore. I think words are super, super important. Um, and I, and some people don't, but don't believe it or whatever, but really words become thoughts and thoughts turn into beliefs. And so the more you use a word about yourself or to yourself, believe me, it becomes a thought and it becomes how you believe about yourself or about others. Absolutely. If and so I say that I'm not good enough, if I'm a piece of yes. shit, if I like, I talk to myself more than I talk to anyone else. So if I'm telling myself that I suck and I'm an addict and I'll never be good enough and right. because I got molested as a kid, that's my truth, then right. it, I can't rewrite the script in my own story and I can't change the outcome of that. Words, words really matter. And mm -hmm. so I'm very, very careful today with the words I speak about myself, to myself, and about and to others mm -hmm. because those words do carry a lot of weight and becomes how people believe who they really are. And so the term broken, you know, implies there's something wrong because you only fix something if something's wrong with it. And the driver behind believing there's something wrong with you is shame. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, I was in pain. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to sit here and defend myself about you know, oh, did it excuse this or excuse that? It doesn't really matter. What matters is that it explains everything and now I can work on healing it. Um, and so, yeah, like the terms addict, I don't call myself an addict anymore. I, 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 here's what I feel. 
if a word empowers you, then go ahead, then use it. I'm all for it. I support you 100%. If it is empowering for you to call yourself an addict for the rest of your life, and that is something that gives you strength to move forward in your life, then I support it 100%. Mm-hmm. However, for some people, it is something that holds them back. It feels wrong. It, they don't feel like they're in that phase. For me, in the beginning, I think it was important for me to acknowledge and, and identify and say, you know, my name is Jen, I'm an addict, because I think it was important in the beginning for me to really come to terms with the fact that I was not bad, that I actually, you know, had an addiction that needed to be, you know, faced and talked about. However, through the years, um, the term, I, 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 it does not define me. So like my addiction experience was never meant to replace my pronoun, I don't believe. So like, it was an experience. It does not dilute the fact that I am quite aware that I can never use something Mm -hmm. again. Um, But it's not that fear of that addiction that doesn't that that keeps me from using again. It's the fear of losing myself. Yeah. That's really what the fear is. I don't want to detach anymore because I know how much freer my life feels today to be connected. And so that's really all that substances did for did for me is they disconnected me. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be disconnected anymore. You know, it's super interesting that uh, you brought that up. Like uh, the last couple of weeks I've been thinking, I'm like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to call myself an addict or an alcoholic anymore. Like I do these self-affirmations and like, oh, I am good enough. I can't, I am great. And like, if I like am telling myself and others that I am an addict, then like, I'm no longer addicted and I'm no longer drinking. Like, yeah, I do have, you know, that did, that was a problem in my life, but like, I need to tell myself more positive things. And with the word addict is a negative word for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, it's not for some people it is, but like, right. I need to tell, talk to myself the way somebody talks loves themselves talks to themselves and like i you know have so much shame guilt whatever and if i don't rewrite the script nobody's gonna do it for me so i need to keep going forward and like i was like you know what i and i'm like like i was debating on it and then like last weekend i was like you know what no i'm not doing this anymore i'm gonna stop calling myself an addict or an alcoholic and just move on like mm-hmm. you know it, like yeah when i meet somebody new like say like a date i was actually talking to my therapist about this um like when i go on a date i'm like oh well the person who didn't shoot up heroin i feel like i can't get her because i shot up heroin i'm already disconnecting myself mm-hmm. rejecting myself from her because she didn't shoot up heroin and i did like that's not me anymore. So anyways, that's just super interesting. And, no, it is. And I think that's, and that's, what's really important is that, that pull in your, in your gut that's saying, I don't think this feels good for me anymore is that we advocate for that. And we stand up for ourselves for that. And we follow that. So mm-hmm. if that doesn't feel good for you anymore, then drop it. 
Like this is the point of recovery is to constantly be in motion. You know, recovery is not about not drinking and using, (laughs) right? That's like the first very small minor first beginnings. Yes, it is very, I mean, I applaud anybody. I mean, it's, it is a jungle to walk through to stop. I mean, I had no idea how to human. I didn't know how to shower without using. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to brush my teeth, the teeth I had left. Um, you know, all these things, I, I didn't know how to go through stores without stealing. I didn't know how to look people in the eyes. I did not know how to human. So in the beginning, yes, it was literally day and night about getting through every minute without my, my loves, my best friends, the things that helped me manage my, manage my pain. Mm -hmm. But, but the scope of long-term recovery is like the drugs and alcohol are like the most minor little minuscule little part of it. So if we constantly have to reaffirm to ourselves, I'm an, my name is Jen, I'm an addict. My name is Jen, I'm an addict. That's what addicts do. Uh, We're just addicts, you know, all these like phrases that we use. I'm staying in that beginning. Like I'm staying in that phase of that. I've already made it through. I'm staying in that thing where I'm focusing on the drugs and alcohol still. Um, And I want to move forward because I didn't get into recovery to stay living one drink away from a relapse. I don't like some of these terms that you're only one drug away. You're only one. No, actually I'm nine and a half years away. Right <laughs> now is that okay? So now that's not to say that if I stop doing trauma work and I stop working on myself, or you know whatever, that something could happen. But it is to say that no, I'm actually nine and a half years away. I'm pretty far away. Um, emotion. And it's not even about the years, I guess, but it's just about all the work that I've done. I'm pretty far away. I don't want to live one drink away. I don't want to live like that. That's not how I want to live. So. There is a lot, and that's why it's important that when we come to these places where we're ready to move forward, that we are supported. Mm -hmm. Because when we're not supported and we're told that, well, then you are in denial. To say you're not being, want to call yourself an addict, it means you're in denial. No, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not. I'm actually not in denial. I'm quite clear on what happens to me if I pick up drugs or alcohol. I'm very clear. You know, but, um, or, you know, you're, you're going to be a dry drunk or blah, blah, blah. There's just a lot of, I call them junk phrases. There's just a lot of things that we say in traditional recovery programs and treatment centers and, and fellowships that actually are quite har- can be quite harmful for some people. Yeah. So words really matter. And so, yeah, it's, I also, I'm just, I'm just very careful. I always, I tell people, listen. You know, I don't mind. You guys can call yourselves addicts till the sun comes home. I support you. I'm so happy that you're sober or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. However, please be respectful and ask me first if I want to be called an addict because today I have a choice. Today I choose to live true to myself and true to myself is not to label myself or can, you know, live in something that was just an experience. It is not an identity. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's my belief on that. So good. Mm. I mean, good for you. I mean, whatever works for you, like we said in the beginning, is what you need to run with, yeah. not what other people say. It's full baloney. Right. <laughs> like, if somebody calls me ugly, and then I believe that, <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'm Robert, and I'm ugly, and I'm here <laughs> to fix my ugly problem. 
I'm here at Uglies Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> like it. And we're all ugly. So that's just what ugly people do. And then you just keep telling yourself this and you keep blaming everything and pinning every everything on, well, that's just what ugly people do or that's just what addicts do. We're addicts. You know, we're, we're human beings. Right. <laughs> that's it. That's all we are as human beings with different different situations, different, you know, things that have traumatized us, different experiences, different pain, different insecurities. And we're all just trying to manage the best that we can. Mm-hmm. That's really all human beings are in general, whether you've had an addiction experience or not. Yeah. We're just all just trying to manage life the best that we can. Absolutely. And, yeah, I just, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, I have amazing conversations with people like yourself. And also I have amazing conversations with business owners, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, coaches, personal trainer, whatever. Like I have a wide variety of people on my podcast that all go through struggles. And like a lot of them are not alcoholics and drug addicts, but they have the similar morning routine and they have the same patterns to success. Like, yeah, things are a little bit different for each person, but um, you know, I guy that I had on like a year ago, he what really you know hit this to me like this guy's not an alcoholic but he gets up he says something that he's grateful for he has a his morning routine is in order everything's intentional and i was thinking like wait your morning routine sounds a lot like mine but i do my morning routine so i don't kill myself with drugs and alcohol so uh, i don't know i just thought i don't know if that makes any sense but um, it does. So talking about morning routines, like, do you have a morning routine? <laughs> I do. I do. So I, and I love that you said intentional because that's what I, I call it. Intentional mornings. Um, I have two children, young children. So, um, I, for me, I, I wake up about four in the morning and mm-hmm. it feels really early for a lot of people, but it is like my time to like really take care of myself and love myself before my kids get up. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer like, I don't wake up going, Oh, I'm like excited for my morning. Like this is my time, you know? Um, and I, I write and mm-hmm. you don't have to be, I think people assume that, you know, since I'm a writer, like, Oh, well, of course you write. Cause you love writing. I think writing is important for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think pen and paper writing, I don't think, I know it's been proven and studied that pen and paper writing is super therapeutic. Um, and I think everyone would benefit from writing in the morning, even if it's just brain dumping, even if it's just getting out all that crap that we wake up with sometimes. I I, per, I wake up with a lot of that imposter syndrome. Like, who are you to have written a book? Who are you to be helping people, you know, overcome trauma? Who are you to be doing this? And so my morning routine is really focused on reminding myself who the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am worthy. I am successful. I am healing. I am, you know, empowered, whatever it happens to be, like you were saying with affirmations, not I'm trying to be not, I will be, I am. Absolutely. Um, when we say I am statements, we actually begin to exist in the world as if we already are those things that we're aspiring to be. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like the whole process of manifestation, which again, I used to think was real weird. And, and some people take it to really big levels, which good for them. For me, it's just about saying I am whatever it happens to be that I am aspiring to be or, or fearing that I am not. Um, I just remind myself that I already am. Um, I write those pages. I get them. I get it all out. I do my inner child meditation. Like I said um, earlier, you know, I drink my coffee and, you know, I don't pick up my phone until after my morning time. I do not go on social media. I do not, um, you know, do anything. I don't want to, I don't want to take anything in. I want to just listen to myself. I don't want any more, any outside stuff. Mm -hmm. And it has changed, changed my life entirely to start my day like that. Ooh, I like that. So it really does. Yeah. Oh. You know, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people that I talk to, they said that they start their morning writing. And mm-hmm. like, do you start your morning writing pen and paper or do you start yes. your morning? Okay. I'm just curious, like with the digital age, like is everyone getting on their laptops or whatever? They may be, but there is a lot of, you know, psychology and, you know, lots of studies done on the therapeutic value of using your a pen and paper Absolutely. i'm not sure what it is but there's something about your own handwriting there's something about the process that is much more you, you get much more connection out of it than when you're on your screen and you know t- typing there's a disconnection there mm-hmm. than when you're on pen and paper and using your own handwriting what i don't know what it is exactly but yeah i use pen and paper i have journals um yeah and yeah i write I try to, I write three pages every morning. Wow. Because if I only write one, here's what happens. I get through the brain dump, right? But then there's nothing that fills it back up. So as I write the, it takes about three pages to really get from the brain dump to then kind of turning it around about my day. And then the bottom is usually my affirmations. Mm, Um, And it, yeah. So I, I personally swear by it, especially if you're a parent to wake up before your kids get up because kids wake up, they just have no boundaries. Kids have no boundaries. They want what they want right then. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's really important to take that time for yourself. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I do things like that, my mental health is a hundred times better and then like, I'll go in cycles and I'll sleep with my phone in my bed and then I'll get up and I'm scrolling through Instagram at two in the morning mm-hmm. and then I wake up and I'm just always reacting to people and, you know, somebody cuts me off in traffic, traffic, I mean, and I'm flipping them off and I'm hawking my horn. <laughs> right. But if I like get up, do the, what I need to do, don't check my phone, like the people around me appreciate my behavior and then Mm -hmm. i i appreciate it for sure as well so you know you have this amazing life today if covid wasn't happening and you could wake up anywhere in the world and do whatever you wanted what would that day look like so let's just call this the perfect day (laughs) uh 
a perfect day? That's that is a very interesting question. So if I could just wake up wherever I want, it would definitely be on the beach somewhere because I am a beach girl. I love the smell of the salt air. I love the sand. I love the sound of the waves. I love the sun. So I don't know, on the beach somewhere. And I think my life is so um, busy. I'm I'm doing, you know, I do a lot of speaking and writing and um groups and you know helping people that it would probably a perfect day for me at this moment would probably just be like have nothing to do but just be no phone nobody needing me just to be just to enjoy this like environment and yeah that would probably be a perfect day for me mm-hmm. relaxed because I feel very you know you get worn out and you have to be careful that you, do, you know that you take care of yourself because you can get you know compassion syndrome is real where compassion fatigue where you know you just do so much to help other people and then you just become really drained you have to constantly be refilling your cup you know otherwise like that saying says you can't pour from an empty cup but it's so true and actually it's amazing how long you can pour from a pretty damn empty cup you can pour for quite a long time and not realize that you are completely void of self-care. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would, that would be a perfect day for me, for sure. Mm. For sure, the beach. I don't know what beach, like maybe Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. Mm. Well, maybe one day. Yeah, maybe one day. So I know, you know, everyone has different types of trauma. And whatever they have gone through, that's okay. But if you could give like three tips to the people listening to this on how to start the process of dealing with their own trauma, what would those three things be? Only three? Oh my goodness. Okay. The first thing is that all trauma is valid. So there is no competition over what is bad enough to be considered trauma. There is no, um, you don't have to qualify or, you know, it doesn't have to beat so-and-so or match mine or all trauma is valid. Trauma is not even about what happened. It's about whatever you went through or saw or experienced or felt. It's about what it left inside of you. That's trauma. It's not about the event. It's about what the event left inside of you. So, you know, there's all kinds of trauma and all trauma is valid. That, that would be number one to really, I think a lot of people that don't have what you would consider, you know, grandiose trauma, you know, like a rape or, you know, sexual abuse or whatever, they say, well, you know, my trauma is not, not valid, you know, cause I, I just have my parents divorced when I was little and I never saw my dad again or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I hear a lot of moms say, oh, you know, I had such a great childhood. And then the next, you know, you know, it was such a wonderful childhood. I feel like I, you know, I hear people talk about trauma and I don't know how to interact. You know, my childhood was so great. You know, my dad was an alcoholic um and there was a lot of and it's like wait wait back up (laughs) you know dad was an alcoholic right there (laughs) gives a whole bunch of trauma i could just i could just tell you right now so i think we're afraid 
that, you know, our trauma is not big enough and, and all trauma is, is valid. So that would be one is to really, really let that sink in. Um, two would be to understand that trauma lives in the body. So we have to realize that the effects of trauma are is in our bodies. It's body trauma. It's the way that like it did not, it was too much for our brains to comprehend. So our bodies kicked in, which is why we having, you know, a lot of trauma response, you know, symptoms are anxiety and depression and hypervigilance where you're really jumpy and nightmares and, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. These are in the body. So you can go to talk therapy until you talked yourself into your grave. Um, you can work the steps until you work the steps for 50,000 gazillion times. Um, you can do all these things, but you're never going to fully move past what's in your body until you address what's happening in your body. So I think it's really important to find a trauma informed therapist, a trauma informed coach, um, trauma informed yoga, you know, really look, see if you feel like maybe there is some trauma there, which everyone has trauma. Let's just, that's the truth. Every single person in this world has trauma. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that trauma affects their lives in great amounts or not, that's up to them to decide. But everybody has trauma. You know, everybody has had things, you know, that have affected them deeply on some level and then infect your lives moving forward. So, it's important to find, you know, someone that is trauma informed or trauma trained to talk to and start working with like EMDR therapy is so amazing. Um, there's all different ways that, you know, you can do work on healing your body. That's number two, my goodness. Number three would be to find a community that's talking about trauma. Mm. Do not expect please, because I did this, expect your 12-step community, your smart recovery community, your church, um, your, you know, whatever, to be a safe place to talk about your trauma and be supported. Um, that is, we are often met with a lot of judgment, a lot of ignorance, a lot of um, shaming, re-traumatization if we go into the wrong spaces to be supported so really seek out you know trauma communities there are tons of them tons of them tons of them what no matter what it is you're healing from this is one thing that's so as much as social media can have a negative effect the thing that i really love about social media and about um you know the online network and Google and, and all these things that, you know, yeah, there is some negative stuff if you use it in different ways, but there is such a benefit because, you know, the way I really started my trauma work journey is I was two years in recovery. I was pregnant with my son, my first son, my first child. And I was in so much pain that I was starting to plan to end my life. I thought that you know, I wasn't meant for recovery, you know, like I told you in the beginning, I just I, I had all this pain and all these symptoms and all these nightmares. 
and I was just hating myself. And, and I just thought, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, there's no way that this is, this is it for me. And so I went online and I remember this, it was so pivotal in my life. And I was, it was, the dick if you could set the scene but I was in the dark and I googled sexual abuse I had never even said the word abuse before because all the time my whole entire life the fact that I never said anything the fact that I never told anybody back then the fact that I kept so many secrets about all that I thought I was a participant I was like 35 Okay, that's a long time to really feel that there was nothing, I was not a victim in anything, that I was a participant and I must have been a pretty sick kid. I must have been pretty disturbed. I must have liked it. And so I remember Googling those words and just the just Googling that word was a huge step for me. Mm-hmm. It was a huge step in, for me to really take the power out of that big, you know, this big thing that had really had such a large hand in my life. And what I found changed my entire, I mean, it changed my everything. I just found link after link after link of people openly speaking about the things that I was sure I could never tell anybody that I was sure made me disfigured and and just damaged and beyond repair and beyond disgusting and all these symptoms I was like oh my god I ha- I feel that oh my god that that I have that I'm feeling that and what happened is it re- it told me two things one that there was nothing wrong that I was not alone there's not I'm not abnormal I'm not different you know I'm not an outcast I'm not you know unable to live like like other people Mm -hmm. that I wasn't alone and two it told me that everything made sense it's like all of a sudden it just clicked that oh my god everything I'm feeling right now makes sense of course I feel this because guess what the truth is that what happened to me as a little girl was abuse and I do not own any of that today and so it's taken me a long time to really release myself from that. But the truth is, is that abuse is always the fault of the abuser, no matter what. It does not matter what. It doesn't matter if you didn't say anything. It doesn't matter if you were high. It doesn't matter if you were hanging out in the wrong place. It doesn't matter if you enjoyed it at a certain moment, which you thought was enjoyment. It doesn't matter if it gave you something. Abuse is always the fault of the abuser, period, and we could hang up right now. And if that's the only message I get out into this podcast, that is, that would be the message. And that really just started my journey on realizing that, I, that I'm not, there's not anything wrong with me. Like it makes a lot of sense and I'm feeling this. And so for a long time, I just kind of sat in these different communities and Facebook groups and I, I and I didn't speak at all. I didn't say anything, but I just listened and I just, what I saw is just my story and maybe different, different, you know, factors and, and, you know, different facts, but it was like the root of it was my story. And so I think it's really important to have that connection, especially for survivors of trauma, to have that connection, no matter what it is that, that your trauma 
you know, whatever your trauma is labeled, I guess you could say, whether it be um, being raised in, you know, home with parents that are in, in addiction or childhood, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, trafficking, um, you know, religious abuse. I have a lot, I've dealt a lot with my, you know, religious abuse, or, you know, maybe you are part of the LGBTQ community and you've been shamed, you know, whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. I promise you, if you Google or put in the search bar on Instagram or put in the search bar on Facebook or, or whatever, you will find that you are not alone, that there are thousands of people already in the, already in motion, healing from this, writing papers on this, having psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, you know, all, all kinds of communities and organizations coming together and recognizing all of it. It's so powerful. You know, when you were saying that you were finding this community and you felt like you're not alone doing during this, like, how did you feel like on a day-to-day basis knowing that other people out there are talking about the same thing or similar things? How did I feel? Yeah. I mean, I felt, it made me feel better about myself. I don't know. I mean, I just, um. I felt so damaged and I felt so afraid to talk about that stuff because I just thought, you know, and the longer we keep things silence, everything that hurts our lives lives in silence, everything, mm-hmm. shame, guilt, addiction, uh, disordered eating, self-harm, you know, affairs, everything lives in silence everything lives in the unspoken and so and in the darkness and so like it finally just shed a little light and it made me feel like I didn't have to hide so much anymore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know it's been a process for sure I didn't just come out you know the next day and start speaking my truth yeah no absolutely (laughs) um and I think that people put a lot of power in speaking your truth and a lot give a lot of you know, applause for that. And I think it's wonderful. I really do. Anyone that gets that point, but what's most important is to learn to sit with your truth first. Mm. That is the most important thing is just to learn to sit with it. Sometimes for me, I wasn't even able to say it to myself. And, you know, sit with your truth and be okay with it or just sit with it. Just be able to sit with it. You don't have to get to a point where you're okay with it. That takes time. Yeah. That takes a lot of time. But a lot of, most of the time, we are avoiding our own truth, you know? And so even just uttering the words or typing the words, whatever, that abuse or neglect or, you know, trauma, whatever it happens to be, just learning to sit with that and accept that that has played a part. That's really all it is. Accepting that that has played a part in how you feel today. Um, and then working in safe spaces and with safe people. And then, you know, yeah, over time, speaking your truth is wonderful. But even if you never speak it, even if, and when I say speak it, I don't mean amongst another person. I mean, speak it on a, on a bigger level, you know, like come out and you know, speak it to your family or speak, you know, go confront your abuser, you know, all that stuff is wonderful, but it's not really necessary Mm -hmm. to heal your life. If that's not part of your path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I like that. I think a lot of a lot of people listening will appreciate that as well. So, you know, if people want to find your book or, you know, maybe find you on social media or wherever it is on the internet that you hang out with, hang out at, where can people go? So my book is called Shape of a Woman by Jen Elizabeth, and that's on Amazon. Um, and I'm in the process of writing more, so uh, it's a lot, but eventually I'll have another one come out. Um, and then I'm on social media, all across the board of social media, as Resurrection with a K underscore of underscore me. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, anywhere that I can share my story anywhere that I can give someone else that aha moment that I had Mm -hmm. that says there's nothing wrong with you, that you're not broken, that this all makes sense. And let's move, let's, let's walk through it together. You're not alone. Um, And then, you know, I have a website resurrectionofme.com and I'm also a host at um, sober mom squad, which is a community for, um, sober moms or sober curious whether you're in sobriety or just curious about what sobriety as a mom looks like there's you know we have lots of master classes and experts and like two or three meetups a day on zoom i mean it's just a really amazing community for moms by moms mm. um that's awesome yeah so that's pretty much it i think that's awesome. And I, my DMs are, and my messages are always open. I really try to answer everybody's messages because, you know, I know that especially right now with things being shut down, it's really hard. Um, and, you know, I'm always available to just sit with people, you know, if that's what they need or just to be a sounding board. And I always try to say and, and put out there right away is that I believe you. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing that I think any trauma survivor can hear first off the bat is I believe you. You don't have to prove anything to me. You don't have to hash anything out with me. Just know I believe you already. That's, I like that. I like that a lot. So you've said a lot of powerful things, but if you could leave the world with one message, So your message to the world, what would that be? (laughs) Ah, um, One message. I got a lot of shit to say, man. One message. You know, I got a whole book to leave for the world. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Okay. My one message for the world. I think probably what I said earlier, um, that no one is broken, that everything that you have ever experienced or managed to come up with, no matter what other people labeled as, no matter how other people see it, no matter how other people judge it, no matter what it is, whatever has got you through to this day should be honored. And the only way to combat shame is self-compassion. So we have to always try our best to find love for every single thing that has carried us to where we are now. 
even the things that people say are bad or dysfunctional or problematic or wrong. Ignore all of that. It's just that, you know, really we are so perfectly wired to survive and to carry ourselves to the next day. It's just amazing to me. Um, the things that people do to get themselves to the next day, even if that was use drugs, even if that was disassociate, even if that was whatever else, you know, that people label as so bad and problematic. Um, it actually, it served a purpose. It's, it, it helps you get to where you are today and who you are today is inherently worthy of everything that this life has to offer, no matter what. Mm. I think that's probably the most important message because that would go, that would cover anything anybody's is going through is that we feel a lot of shame and guilt about some of the ways that we survived walking through this earth. And the only way to get rid of that, it's not changing your environment. It's not rearranging your furniture. It's not working the steps. It's not the way to really get to the root of that is to find self-compassion and love for every single thing and every single phase that has brought you to the day is just incredibly like resilient. It's just, it's just amazing how our bodies kick in when we are in a situation that we cannot process. Mm, I love that. Love that. Well, thank you, Jen. I appreciate your You're time. <laughs> Anytime. All right, guys, if you haven't already, please go over to iTunes, Spotify, and subscribe. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I'm sorry that I didn't have all the music and all that other stuff like it normally does. But like I said, I'm going to get you guys more content. And, well, my schedule changed, so I didn't have time today. So, anyways, here you guys go. I love you. And, you know... Let me know, either on social media or over at iTunes, if you prefer the episodes to be like this. The intro, I mean. Or even let me know how you think of this episode. Anyways, I'm going to stop rambling. I appreciate you very much for listening each day and sharing it with the world. Please keep doing it, and I love you, and... The election is over, and I haven't checked the results. I don't even know if the, result, if the results are out, but either way, I love you guys, and have a wonderful day.